land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. children can run free so take my hand and walk this land with me and walk Good evening and welcome to Yadia Radio. My pleasure to be with you. We're here with Kirk and uh, and Dee this evening. Uh, Happy Shabbat to one and all. Uh, As a couple of uh, program notes, um, looking at the the state of the moon uh, as it will set a a week from now, this Friday, which is when uh, religious Jews will begin to celebrate their high holy days with the Babylonian New Year, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, I, I think that they're uh, they're clearly wrong. It's uh, there's only uh, a fraction of one percent of the uh, renewable light on the moon's surface uh, that will be visible uh, um, at uh, at moonset. That is not <laughs> sufficient. I, I very seldom will choose a day based upon anything less than one percent uh, uh, renewable light on the moon's surface. So I think uh, that it will okay. be. Uh, Saturday will be uh, Teruah. Now, uh, when it comes to to dates, uh, I, I personally I don't think God's uh, all that particular. I think He is very specific about what is important to Him. But whether or not we uh, we celebrate uh, uh, Teruah on a beginning on a Friday evening or a Saturday evening, so long as we understand what it represents, that uh, we are in particular. The herald for uh, for Dode, our Messiah, um, uh, the Son of God, our Savior, the Zeroah Passover Lamb, uh, most important person who ever lived, the uh, a very very prolific prophet, and on Teruah we we serve as his herald, um, and we call his people home, and to him, um, that is the purpose of this day, and so long as we celebrate that, we know that we're engaged in doing that whether we celebrate Teruah beginning on a Friday evening or a Saturday evening is fairly immaterial. Um, Also, I would say that for the past 22 years, and it will be 22 years uh, exactly uh, on this uh, coming um, uh, Saturday, uh, Mm -hmm. I have uh, felt like um, I have been living uh, Groundhog Day in the sense of Teruah. Every day is Teruah. I wake up and it is true. I, I go to bed and 
it is Tarua. Uh, it's a wonderful place to be. Uh, best job in the uh, in the world. Uh, a couple of programs ago, we uh, talked about uh, the fact that there was a great uh, revival taking place in Israel, great by Yahweh standards. Uh, you know, Yahweh went from shortly after Dode uh, and through uh, a very small number of prophets uh, to the point that after Malachi, uh, about 450-ish BCE, there was literally no one that he could talk to, not a single soul that he could communicate through, not a single Jew who was willing to listen to him or speak for him. And so God's gone through a very long period of time out where he has not spoken to his people and has really paid very little attention uh, to them. Um, now, not that he's found a substitute people. Uh, the Gentiles are uh, is bad, if not worse, than the Jews. But nonetheless, God's had no one that he could uh, relate to, communicate through, enjoy their company, or work through for uh, now better part of 2,400 years. Uh, so, um, you know, we are in a position where when we say that there are now 1,400 Israelis uh, that are actively uh, pursuing the, the message in Yada Yawa about Yahweh, coming to know Yahweh, coming to know the role Dode, his son, played and our redemption, this is extraordinary. I mean, this is for right. Yahweh to go from none to, uh, to perhaps as many as 1,400 is... Uh, uh, something to celebrate. We, uh, mm. in our little chat before the show uh, this evening, though, uh, Dee gave me news that most people doing what I do, which is to spend every day uh, translating Yahweh's testimony, contemplating it, and uh, sharing the conclusions that I'm able to draw from it and the insights from it, uh, would be aghast at what uh, I'm about to uh, to tell you. But as I told Dee, this is very good news. Dee has taken it as exceedingly good news, too. Is that uh, here for the last few months, we have been getting um, a, uh, a considerable number uh, of religious Jews uh, coming to uh, the site or through social media to uh, condemn me. Uh, and this is very good news, because if we, if we were resonating with the religious. If we, if the religious were saying, "Boy, great job, we're right there with you," I, I tell you, I'd be running for cover because obviously, our message would not be consistent with Yahweh's message, and uh, and God would be very disappointed in what we're doing. Uh, God spends more time condemning the religion of Jews and Judaism than any other topic beginning with Moshe right. and running all the way through uh, Malachi. Uh, so for religious Jews to now find us and, uh, and complain about, well, they don't complain about us, they only complain about me, which is, which is also fine. Um, this is very good news. Uh, the three arguments against me, uh, none of which are, uh, are logical, which is, again, what you would expect. They're all uh, ad hominem uh, arguments. Their, uh, their first is, how dare you... Uh, work on a uh, on a Shabbat, uh, therefore we're not going to listen to you. <laughs> yep. So you're, the the Shabbat was created. By the way, Shabbat is a verb, so it's an actionable concept, uh, and it was created for us to enjoy our relationship with Yahweh. 
I don't know a better way to enjoy our relationship with Yahweh than to share his testimony, insights we can draw from his testimony, celebrate his relationship with his people, talk about uh, what he intends and how it's going to unfold. So if we're going to be condemned, I would love to be condemned for talking about Yahweh and his testimony uh, to his people on, on the Shabbat. Okay. The second is, uh, is exactly as Yahweh wanted it to be. Uh, we're not going to listen to you because you're a goy. Uh, that is true. Uh, and it is exactly why Yahweh uh, had, uh, well, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of prophecies pertaining to the fact that there were no uh, Jews for Yahweh to speak through. So he turned to a, uh, a goy. And uh, the fact is, this is the best you're going to get. <laughs> That's really yes. embarrassing. But the fact is, it's true. Uh, this is the best if you're going to get. So if you don't like the, uh, the way that uh, I'm sharing insights from uh, Yahweh and his son Dode uh, from his testimony, it's too bad for you because this is the way God <laughs> intended for his people to uh, be awakened in the, in the last days. Uh, the third, of course, is how dare you uh, contradict the, uh, the message of our rabbis and, uh, and sages uh, then, uh, if you want to extrapolate that, it would be the same as how dare Yahweh uh, condemn uh, the message of the rabbis and sages, which is his single most prolific uh, topic throughout the Torah and the prophets. So, good news. Yeah. We, have, uh, we have irritated uh, the religious community and Yisrael. Uh, there's a reason that that has happened, of course. And it's really twofold, and a lot of people get credit. Uh, the website that, uh, uh, that David has put together for us, uh, and the way that it looks, the way that it has all of these features, uh, and builds off of the wonderful job that, uh, that my, my uh, dear friend, uh, Joe Yoel, had done for us all over these uh, years. It is a tremendous uh, presentation of God's testimony. And there are now yeah. uh, what, 27 books, there'll soon be 30 books, because uh, I've written 30 books now, on that site uh, that do a marvelous job of, of something no one has ever done before. Uh, there, there's, there's others, uh, while not as comprehensively and, and as effectively, who have exposed and condemned uh, Islam. I would dare say Prophet mm -hmm. of Doom is the most effective uh, um, condemnation of uh, Islam ever written. Uh, uh, there are others who have uh, have gone after uh, Paul, but no one has even done one one hundredth of the job that uh, is accomplished in the four volumes of questioning Paul. I'm mean, the first person to actually expose and condemn uh, Paul, who is the author and inspiration of almost all of the Christian New Testament and the founder of the Christian religion, uh, by comparing Paul's words to Yahweh's words. Uh, which is the only mm -hmm. effective way to actually do him in. Uh, and then third, because of the, the Babel series in particular, I've also exposed and condemned rabbinic Judaism. So I don't think there's anyone in the history of humanity that has uh, done uh, that to those three religions particularly as effectively, while at the same time ex exposing uh, the five conditions and five benefits of the covenant, the uh, what each of the seven uh, Moed Mikre represent and how they enable the benefits of the covenants and bring us home to Yahweh, uh, the timeline. 
that we're going to talk about at the end of the program this evening and what that uh, represents, how to properly pronounce Yahweh's name, why it is important, and now particularly the role of Dod, the uh, king of Yisrael, the returning king of Yisrael, uh, the man that was anointed three times that has three lives among us. Uh, he was not only the son of God, but also the uh, Messiah. Uh, but the thing that most everyone has missed, maybe everyone has missed uh, heretofore, is that he is also the Zerah, which is the sacrificial lamb of God. Uh, he is the Passover lamb. Uh, and m even more important than fulfilling Passover, he fulfilled matzah, taking the guilt of his people into Sheol and depositing it there so that we appear perfect before our Father. Uh, there is no one who has done these things. He is the most important man in the world. He is the Savior of uh, God's people. Um, so there is a broad swath of information here, thousands of insights um, that haven't been considered or discussed, written about, um, explained in thousands of years. Uh, so it's a very difficult website for anyone to miss. Um, right. If you're, if you're missing this now, there's something wrong with you. And of course, uh, another advantage is we, we have the uh, social media outreach that is becoming more and more effective. Uh, we, uh, we have a, really a very sophisticated and elegant look. We have a very dedicated uh, uh, editing and publishing team. Uh, that makes all of these books available through uh, through Amazon and a beautiful presentation on the uh, on the site and many many resources on the site that uh, are exceedingly helpful. Um, so we've done a lot uh, and yeah. done a lot in the place that matters the most, particularly over these new next uh, ten years. Um, so that's kind of an update as to where we are. We're not going to do the news uh, on this program because I do have. A, uh, a news item that I want to share with you, and then we're going to talk time. Okay. Uh, a couple of days ago, I, uh, I wrote the following, and I want to present it to you because I think it is exceedingly timely as it relates to the nation we care most about, which is Israel. It begins, I would like to provide an update on Islam, which may sound like an oxymoron for a religion stuck in the 7th century. When Yahweh asked me to engage and condemn the religion on Teruah, seven days after the Islamic suicide bombings of 9-11-2001, it was a Tuesday, September 18th, now 22 years ago this week. The first thing I did was buy and read various translations of the Quran. My initial reaction was that it was an incomprehensible and disordered mess devoid of any organizational structure or context. It was hopelessly contradictory, incongruent historically, inaccurate scientifically, poorly plagiarized, logically irrational, and grossly immoral. It was the product of an illiterate psychopath bent on torturing and killing all who would not capitulate to his drivel. It was as if authored by the darkest of demons and as if Muhammad and Allah were one. Completely devoid of prophecy and useful insights, I saw the Quran 
as the worst book ever written. Therefore, the mystery which needed to be resolved was why would anyone believe it or terrorize other on behalf of something so obviously false? Why was Muhammad called a prophet when there are no prophecies? Why was the book so anti-Semitic? How did something this worthless emerge from an intellectual vacuum in the wilderness to become the world's fastest growing and deadliest religion? Why did Muslims murder? To my mind, there were two ways to answer these questions. One easy, the other hard. One fast, the other laborious. One popular, and the other uncommon. I could do as every media of the member of the media was doing and could interview Muslims and let them present their interpretation of the religion. If I did so, however, I'd be no closer to the truth because religious clerics seldom, if ever, address the issues that I have just raised, particularly regarding Islam. Or I could pursue the other option, which would deliver an honest and irrefutable result for those willing to read. I could study the origins of Islam and find a way to reorder the Quran and set it into the context of Muhammad's life so that it could be understood. The path to creating a correct, comprehensive, chronological and contextual presentation of the Quran required access to the four earliest hadith compositions, which are all reports on Muhammad's words and deeds passed on by his companions through a chain of reporters, mouth to ear, prior to the existence of an Arabic alphabet, and thus for some 10 to 15 decades. For those who are rational and reading this, listening to this, it means that there is no distinction between the origin and transmission of the Hadith and the Quran during this period. There was no alphabet, so it had to be passed on, mouth to ear, for 150 years. If the Hadith was false, therefore, so was the Quran. They came from the same sources. They were retained in the same way. It also means that since Muhammad's words and deeds, as they were reported through the Hadith, comprise Islam and its Sunnah, it would not matter that the Hadith was any less accurate or rational than the text of the Quran, because Muhammad and the religion based upon him, ceases to exist and cannot be practiced without both the Quran and Hadith. Without the Hadith, the Quran is, as I have stated, an incomprehensible and disordered mess, devoid of any organizational structure or context, hopelessly contradictory, incongruent historically, inaccurate scientifically, poorly plagiarized, logically irrational, and grossly immoral, the product of an illiterate psychopath bent on torturing and killing all who would not capitulate. And with the Hadith, Muhammad is not only indistinguishable from his God, he was a pedophile. He was a rapist. He was a mass-murdering terrorist. He was a thief and a liar. 
Moreover, the resulting religion cannot emerge from his repulsive shadow. Wow. This brings me to my update. This week, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, known as MBS, an exceptionally shrewd and manipulative psychopath, took the biggest risk of his young life. He openly challenged the veracity of the Hadith because he wants to delegitimize 90% of them. And the reasons are as fascinating as the man at the helm of the richest and most powerful Islamic nation. Two-thirds of Saudi Arabia's 32 million citizens are under the age of 30. As a result of the black ooze upon which the nation floats, they have been given access to inventions of the West, including computers and televisions, smartphones and social media, automobiles and airplanes, as well as a large cache of the deadliest weapons the West has ever developed. MBS is shrewd, but he's not stupid. He must bring Saudi Arabia into the modern world before his subjects take the initiative and revolt. As a narcissist, however, it must be done on his terms. And the one thing holding him back, and them back, is the Islam of the Hadith, Muhammad's words and deeds. The answer is to remove the Hadith. What is left is so incomprehensible that he can manipulate and misappropriate it to his liking, just as Muhammad did when plagiarizing the Talmud to comprise the Quran in the first place. Without Sunnah, he can write his own script, and should the Wahhab Imams complain, they will be executed. Jamal Khashoggi was killed outside of Saudi Arabia for a reason. The test case for this approach occurred recently. The women who took the initiative to circumvent the Saudi Islamic edicts not to leave the house without being escorted by a male guardian, a father, brother, or husband, and then drive a car were jailed. They were brutally tortured, and they were repetitively raped by MBS's chief of staff. And yet, at the same time, MBS liberalized the draconian laws and allowed women this right. It had to be done, but it had to be him doing it. This insight into the mindset of MBS and the dilemma he is facing between modernizing and Islam is now center stage. MBS is manipulating the world on his terms and he has America, China, Europe, and Russia eating out of his hand because his other hand is on their throats. Like every despot before him, he wants more weapons something America, Britain, France, Spain, Germany, China, and Russia are eager to supply. He wants a large stockpile of enriched uranium, 
which the U.S. and China are offering. He wants to be free of the dollar, which BRICS will enable. And he also wants to control the Temple Mount, which Israel will likely provide for MBS acknowledging their right to exist. Marketed as the definitive normalization treaty between Arabs and Jews, this is the Biden administration's Hail Mary. The only way to get a man suffering from dementia alongside a childish vice president reelected. Mm-hmm. And yet this deal with the devil, if accepted, will usher in the time of Israel's troubles. The evening after I provided this update, uh, it's written in the first volume of Observations and sent it out to our editors and publicists for inclusion into this volume of Observations and posting it on social media. The Jerusalem Post published a piece of propaganda on Mohammed bin Salman. It was written by Shalem Al-Khatbi, a United Arab Emirates political insider, was entitled UAE Political Analyst, How to Achieve Saudi-Israel Peace. Well, his assessment of the murderous and raping psychopath was more favorable than my own, since his message appears autobiographical. I thought I'd share it with you because it is how the devil will approach Israel seven years from now. Dateline, September 5th, 2023, 6.32 p.m. Peace between Saudi Arabia and Israel hinges upon intricate strategic calculations by Saudi authorities. It has nothing to do with the Jews. It has nothing to do with the Arabian people. It has nothing to do with America. It hinges on intricate strategic calculations. And he says authorities, but he means authority. The ongoing efforts by the U.S. to establish normalized relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel have taken center stage in recent months across Middle Eastern media. Developments about this originate from both American and Israeli perspectives, while Saudi comments remain scarce. This aligns with Saudi diplomacy's overriding approach, one of preserving secrecy and discretion until official documents and arrangements are finalized, akin to their handling of the Riyadh Tehran reapproachment. Saudi diplomacy stands out for its composed and sagacious demeanor, earning it profound respect and recognition, both regional and in international platforms. <laughs> Let me tell you what MBS does. He plays blackmail. And he plays blackmail almost as well as anybody on earth. He will tell Biden, you do that. And I will stop trading oil and dollars. Your country will crash. Now, would you please go away? You will send me those weapons 
or I will get them from the Chinese, I will buy them from the Russians. No, it's all him blackmailing the countries whose hand yep. or his throat, his hand is wrapped around. This approach also affords substantial leeway and time to meticulously pursue well-defined objectives far from the clamor of the media, which frequently turns into a pressure instrument on the fingers of any political undertaking. You know, when you live in a dictatorship, you don't need no stinking media approval. No. <laughs> right. President Joe Biden's administration views the successful advancement of its initiative to normalize relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel as a notable accomplishment ahead of the 2024 uh. presidential election campaign. He got that uh, part right, except yeah. Biden knows that this has nothing to do with Saudi yeah. Arabia and Israel having normalized relations. It is only the sign being put on it to justify what he is now being blackmailed into providing. You give us nukes. You come to defend Saudi Arabia with your soldiers and with your weapons as if we were another state in the United States. You agree to sell hundreds of billions of dollars of whatever weapons we choose. And on and on and on it goes. Mm -hmm. This has nothing to do with Israel except for the fact that when it's couched under that sign, then there appears to be justification for Israel giving up its soul and for the United States selling Saudi Arabia the weapons this despot mm -hmm. needs to continue his draconian approach to the world. On the other side, Israel regards Riyadh's involvement in the peace process as a profound transformation in the Middle East geopolitical landscape, a, characteriz a characterization that holds true. In other words, Muhammad's way, MBS's way, are no way at all. Nevertheless, indications suggest that the kingdom aims for a comprehensive reassessment of its strategic partnership with the United States. Yes, you will give me everything we want because we are now in the driver's seat. You are the puppet, not us. This is gross. This perspective is attributed to the shrewd leadership of Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who is orchestrating his nation's international role with acumen, resulting in a series of accomplishments. In just a few years, he has adeptly repositioned Saudi Arabia on the map of global relations. I said he was shrewd, and he is. Mm -hmm. He has done exactly that. He has taken a country that doesn't make anything, that has a workforce of all imported laborers because his people don't work, a nation whose religious and political guidelines are stuck 
in the 7th century and has positioned them because of the value of the black ooze such that the world is circumambulating MBS. Absolutely true. And I began to speak of this about five years ago when it became mm-hmm. obvious that he was playing the world for this result. Saudi Arabia has emerged as a captivating focal point, attracting worldwide attention across economic, uh, commercial, sporting, cultural, and investment domains. This transformation heralds favorable shifts in the long-standing perceptions of the country. All he's doing is buying things. He bought the PGA Mm -hmm. Tour. He bought uh, worldwide uh, soccer. Uh, You know, you aren't creating something if you bought, if you're buying something somebody else created. But there are trillions of dollars that he gets for nothing. And this is what they're doing. But they're doing it very cleverly. There is no question about that. This accomplishment elicits admiration and acclaim from global hubs of decision-making, compelling a universal recognition of the enterprising developmental endeavor spearheaded by the young crown prince. By the way, he's crown prince because he threatened to kill his brother and he threatened to kill his father. His composed and assured leadership approach astonishes all who will observe and follow Saudi affairs. I told you that I wanted to read this to you, and there's more to it, because this is exactly how Satan incarnate, when he comes into Jerusalem two weeks before the last two witnesses, on promises of peace... He is going to have a propagandist that will write exactly the same thing of him. Yep. And he will do exactly the opposite of what is said about him. If you want to know what the Torahless one is going to be like when he comes into Yisrael on the first of Abib in 2030, year 5997 Yah, this is it. Regarding peace between Saudi Arabia and Israel, it becomes evident that this subject is closely intertwined with the new Saudi perspective. However, it hinges upon intricate, strategic calculations by the Saudi authority. Saudi Arabia occupies a distinctive stance on both spiritual and strategic levels. Saudi Arabia is undergoing a foundational transformation. Yet, this transformation is not centered solely on normalizing relations with Israel. (laughs) No, in fact, that is irrelevant. Fostering improving ties with neighboring Iran. That was just a ruse are pursuing similar endeavors. Instead, 
this transformation is fundamentally directed towards shaping a future for the kingdom's upcoming generations. So long as it's MBS's way. His objective is to forge a Saudi Arabia that resonates with the aspirations of its youth, a general population positioning it in a manner that benefits a regional powerhouse encompassing the entirety of both robust and subtle influence. This strategic endeavor guarantees that Saudi Arabia possesses the capacity to exert its influence on a global stage in a way that advances its interests and safeguards it against becoming ensnared in conflicts or crises that might obstruct its resolutely ambitious developmental path. Wow. Therefore, the normalization with Israel and the pursuit of reconciliation with Iran is aimed at fortifying security, peace, and harmonious coexistence in a region that has long gap, grappled with instability. This, rule, this role follows squarely within the purview of Saudi Arabia as the vanguard of the Islamic world. This man has already written the speech for the Torahless mm -hmm. One, for Satan incarnate yeah. as he enters yes, Jerusalem. Yeah. It upholds moral obligations and spiritual connections with nearly two billion Muslims. In this sense, it assumes the role of a peacemaker and a conduit for bringing divides between civilizations and cultures. Hence, the eventual establishment of peaceful relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia so long as Israel capitulates, seems yeah. deeply intrinsic. Such a development stands apart from notions of American pressure that Riyadh has demonstrated it no longer adheres to when those pressures run counter to its interests. Do you know, Israel has almost always got itself into a bad situation when it chose to trust the words of its enemies yeah. Yeah. as opposed to the words oh. of its gods. Mm -hmm. The potential alignment between Israel and the kingdom, under the kingdom, of course, is previously articulated by the Saudi crown prince, does not come as a surprise. He has also affirmed his country does not perceive Israel as an adversary. No, he wanted them to be a client. It is important to recall that Riyadh put forth an ambitious peace proposal in 2002. No, that was uh, written by the uh, Mr. Friedman of the New York Times, underscoring that Saudi Arabia harbors no inherent reservation or animosity towards Israel so long as they capitulate the country to Muslims. Instead, it operates guided by its central role within both the Arab and Islamic spheres. <laughs> it's hard it to seeks to devise <laughs> a viable framework that 
craters the collective interest, that caters, I should say, to the collective interest and guarantees real stability. Trust me, says the mass murderer and rapist. <laughs> Furthermore, Riada perceives the current juncture in history as opportune to recalibrate, to redefine, and to fortify its alliance with Washington getting Washington to be its puppet, aligning it with the prevailing strategic landscape. Saudi Arabia is operating within an ambitious and promising strategic vision for the year 2030. It's the year, all right. You got that part right. (laughs) This vision hinges on a stable and propitious regional climate essential for fostering investment and advancement It has emerged as a pivotal driving force in Saudi foreign policy. And by the way, one Benjamin Netanyahu is licking this Kool-Aid right out of MBS's paw. It is universally recognized. This is the concluding paragraph, and it tells all. It is universally recognized that Israel's participation in the recent sequence of regional reconciliations holds the potential to unveil an alternative geopolitical map contrasting the landscape of prior regional conflicts. In other words, that stuff was done, but that wasn't our guy doing it. Nevertheless, a candid nevertheless, I wasn't our guy doing it. Nevertheless, a a candid perspective mandates acknowledging that Israel must cultivate a suitable strategic environment that incentivizes the kingdom and other stakeholders to engage in the peace process. That was a lot. But promises for peace, and Israel must capitulate. May I remind listeners of the Treaty of Hudabayah and the subsequent attack once the Muslims were better equipped and their brethren's defenses were down. MBS isn't eliminating every hadith just the 95% which do not serve his interests. Over the past two decades, I have made hundreds of public prognostications regarding world events on this and many, many, many other radio programs and in writing. My assessments, analysis, and specific predictions have always gone against the majority, often Mm -hmm. to the extent of being a single voice against the world. And yet, I have never been wrong, including my contrarian evaluations of the American response to 9-11, of the consequence of the invasions of Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria the attack on Libya, the proxy war in Ukraine against Russia, the response to COVID, 
the cause and response to climate change, the overreaction to the January 6th trespass, the fate of the dollar and U.S. economy, the future of Israel. In all of these debates, between just one and everyone else, everyone else continues to flounder. Such is the consequence of neither knowing or accepting the truth. So rather than reading the news, I thought I'd make a little news, um, sharing that update on Islam. Now in the 45 minutes, the half of our program we have left, and it may take just a wee bit longer, um, I'm going to share something that is a collaborative effort. Um, uh, Dee and, uh, and Jackie uh, uh, worked very hard on creating a timeline. It's called the Torah Timeline. It's available at the yadayah.com site. Uh, you'll find it under resources, the first item listed under resources. It really is a wonderful uh, uh, calculation using the uh, genealogies found in the, the Torah. And what it effectively does is it validates what I have been writing about for, uh, for the past 22 years. That was not the intent of it. The intent of it was to present things that uh, Yahweh has talked about from beginning to end, but that is the reality uh, when you look at it. Uh, and we're going to share uh, some of those insights uh, uh, along the way. Now, Dode in particular reigned uh, over all who engaged and endured with God over Yisrael for uh, 40 years. 40 is the duration of a time of testing. Mm -hmm. Those above aboard the ark endured 40 days and nights during the deluge. Israel was enslaved in Egypt for twice 40 decades. Twice four, yes, 40 decades. The walk away from human religious and political oppression to freedom and blessings of the promised land transpired over 40 years. The Torah was revealed over the course of 40 days, during which many Israelites returned to idol worship. It is important because 40 Yobel have transpired between the expulsion of Adam and Chawa from the Garden of Eden to the time and means to return, and it was established with Abraham through the covenant. And 40 Yobel separate the time when Abraham affirmed his willingness to act upon Yahweh's instructions regarding the bereft on Mount Moriah to the time God's son, enabled the covenant's benefits on the same mountain. Further, 40 Obel from the Messiah's fulfillment of the first four Mikre will transpire before he returns to reconcile Yisrael. Mm -hmm. While 40 is the universal multiple of time with God, the Obel are special in their own right. Every seven times seven years plus one, all debts are forgiven. All slaves are freed, and the land is liberated of all encumbrances. Mm -hmm. The Obel is a semi-centennial observation of the annual celebration of Shabuah, the promise of seven Shabbat, whereby Yahweh's children are emancipated and enlightened, empowered, and enriched. Oh my God, it sounds like Yahweh is working on Shabuah. 
the promise of the Shabbat. Maybe he doesn't know that, well, it is a verb. I guess he's entitled. These dates correlated to the Roman Catholic calendar and used today are as follows. In the Yobel year, 0 Yah, 3968 BCE, Adam and Chawa were expelled from the garden. In the Yobel year, 1000 Yah, 2968 BCE, Noach was born. He and his family would be saved from the flood by acting upon Yahweh's instructions. In the Yobel year of 2000 Yah, 1968 BCE, Abraham and his son Yishak affirmed the covenant with Yahweh on Mount Moriah. In the Yobel year of 3000 Yah, 968 BCE, Dod became the cornerstone of Yahweh's home when it was built upon the threshing floor of Moriah, which he had acquired. Then, in the Yobel year of 4000 Yah, 33 CE, Dod returned to enable the benefits of the covenant by fulfilling the first four Mikre on Moriah. Forty Yobel later, in year 6000 Yah, 2033, Yahweh will return with his son to this place, transforming the earth back in the conditions experienced in Eden so that he can camp out with his children until the Yobel year of 7,000 Yah, at which time there will be no Roman Catholic pagan calendar remaining to correlate. Beyond the reference to 40, Dode reigned <laughs> and Chebron, to, which means to form an association, for seven years. And it is over 7,000 years that Yahweh will consummate his relationship with humankind. As we affirmed previously, Dode's second life on earth lasted as long as he lived in Jerusalem, 33 years. Widening our perspective to the entirety of Yahweh's relationship with humankind, this is what we witness. And this is really what I wanted to share with you. Year zero, Yah, Adam, who was created in God's image with a nephesh and with a nesama, disregarded Yahweh's instructions and was expelled from the garden along with Chawa. They had lived in perfect harmony for 50 to 70 years before Satan descended from the wall and into the garden to mislead Chawa by corrupting God's testimony. Expelled from Eden, Adam and Chawa were exposed to the hostile influences outside the garden. Man's kind's authoritarian and violent tendencies became much more severe when the added capability of the Masama was provided. Year 1000, Yah, Yahweh introduces us to Noach, who was born in 2968 BCE. The flood, triggered by an asteroid impact, commenced when Noach was 600 in year 1600, Yah, 2370 BCE. From this perspective, Yah's relationship with Noach and their collaboration on the Ark takes precedence over the deluge itself. Year 2000, Yah, precisely 40 Yobel, from Adam and Chawa's removal from Gan Eden, and 400 years after the flood, 
The means to return to fellowship through the covenant was confirmed by Abraham and Yishak. Four days before Pesach and 1968 BCE, they began their journey to Mount Moriah, where Yahweh provided the lamb. Yishak was 10, and Abraham was 110 years of age at the time. Together with Yahweh, they celebrated the path to everlasting life by acting upon the five conditions of the covenant. Thereafter, during the 41st Yobel, Jacob was born. Following the following Yobel, his 12 sons, comprising Yisrael, were conceived. Then Yosef was sold into Egyptian captivity and became Pharaoh's lead advisor. By the 43rd Yobel, Jacob, his sons, and their families entered Egypt to survive a prolonged drought. Probably the function of man's impact on climate change. (laughs) Herding too many goats. Centuries later, in the 48th Yobel, the Israelites, having become prosperous, were enslaved. Moshe would liberate and enlighten them. And he was born in 1527 BCE. Now, he would flee Egypt at 40 years of age after defending a Yisraelite, after which time the III became co-regent with his stepmommy, Hatshepsut, and then Pharaoh of the Exodus. Of the 50th Yobel, Moshe, now 80, returned to Mitzrayim to liberate the children of Yisrael, doing so on Passover, Abib 14, 1447 BCE. Pharaoh Tutmos's son, Amenhemtah, died this night during the final plague. The Exodus began on Matzah when the children of Yisrael left the crucibles of religious and political oppression. After symbolically experiencing Bakorim, when emerging from the sea, they would receive the Torah on Shabuah. Approximately 400 years after the Exodus, Dod, the Chosen One, was born during the 58th Yobel in 1042 BCE. As the eighth son of Yishai, he was anointed Messiah at eight years of age. Over his 70-year initial life, he would write over a hundred Mizmor and Mashal, unite and defend Yisrael, acquire the capital of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. And did three times the example we should follow. Year 3000, Yah. On the 60th Yobel, Yahweh's beloved son, Dod, is announced as the exemplar covenant, its savior, and as the cornerstone through the 89th Mizmor. In that year, 968 BCE, Dode's son Solomon began construction of the temple on Mount Moriah. The house of Yahweh was completed seven years later, such that in 960 BCE, Shalomo announced the future arrival of the Nakri, observant foreigner, during his dedication speech. It would be all downhill, however, from there, because Yisraelites and their kings emulated the ways of the Goyim and chose religious rights and political intrigue 
over the relationship Yahweh intended. God's people splintered into two kingdoms with tremendous infighting between Yisrael and Yahudah. The message of the prophets Hosha and Yashaya were ignored, such that during the 64th Yobel, Yisrael fell to Assyria in 722 BCE. Then during the 65th Yobel in year 3252, Yah Hezekiah rediscovered the Torah and saved Yahudah from the same fate. Quickly reverting to the religious ways, even failing to listen to Yermayah, who wrote during the 66th Yobel, the leadership of Yahudah made a series of miscalculations, just as they're about to do with MBS. Especially disastrous, God's people would ignore the warning. He sent to them through Chabauk, in 615 BCE, 666 years in advance of Shaul, Paul, conceiving Christianity, the greatest menace to God's people. As a result, during the 67th Yobel year, beginning in 608 BCE, the 70-year Babylonian exile began. After a prolonged siege, Jerusalem fell and the temple was destroyed in 586 BCE. The Greeks, under Alexander, would enter Jerusalem in 322 BCE. Antiochus IV Epiphanes, oh, he had a fine view of himself. He's kind of like the forefather of MBS, and he imposed the worship of the Greek gods and goddesses and Yahudah during the 75th Yobel, beginning in 170 BCE. The Maccabean Revolt began in 167 BCE, and the Hasmonean Dynasty was imposed by 141 BCE. Infighting between Hasmonean heirs, two very misguided brothers, provoked the Roman siege of Jerusalem under Pompey at the onset of the 78th Yobel in 68 BCE. This marked the first of three Roman invasions. Then in 37 BCE, Rome appointed Herod as king of Judea, ending the Hasmonean dynasty and Israelite independence for the next 2,000 years. Year 4,000, Yah. Right on schedule, on the 10th of Abib, in the 80th Yobel year, King Dode, the Messiah and Son of God, entered Jerusalem from his hometown of Bethlehem to fulfill Passover, just as he had foretold. There were celestial fireworks, of course, with a solar eclipse occurring on the first day of the 80th Yobel, March 19, 33 CE, announcing what was to come. Then, as Dode surrendered his Bashar, corporal body, Bashar, heralding the good news, in the waning hours of Pesach, there was a lunar eclipse, 648 local time in Jerusalem, April 3rd, 33 CE. In the transition between Pesach and Matzah, Dode's nephesh, incorporeal soul, was laden with the infectious yeast of his people's religious and political rebellion. He would take their guilt, past and future, with him, into Sheol, 
where it would be deposited, never to be seen again, thereby perfecting the children of the covenant. It was the 15th of Abib, year 4000 Yah, April 4, 33 CE, when the Son of God and our Messiah became our Savior. The next morning, now Bukhodim, firstborn children, the 16th of the first month of the first year of the 80th Yobel, the soul of the Bukhod, firstborn of Yahweh, was released from Sheol, hell, and returned to his father in Shamaim, heaven. The third of five benefits of the Bereth Covenant was now manifest, with Dode adding adoption to eternal life and perfection. He revealed the way we should follow. Seven sevens thereafter, on Shabuah, the promise of the Shabbat, Dode became the first to be a fully emancipated and enlightened, enriched and empowered child of God, and thus the exemplar of the covenant because of what he has done. These same benefits are assured on behalf of every child of the covenant. And before I go on, matzah in the Yobel year of uh, the 80th Yobel in the year 4000, Yah, April 4th, or actually yeah, April 4th, 33 CE. That's when the Messiah and Son of God took the guilt of every covenant member and he carried it with him into Sheol where he deposited it there. What day of the week was that? Shabbat. Well, it was a Shabbat, wasn't it? <laughs> So God's very son was enabled by Yahweh himself to save Yisrael from itself on what day? Shabbat. And you as a religious Jew want to criticize us for speaking about Yahweh's means to save you on this day? Yes. Are you out of your ever-loving mind? Well said. It all transpired as foretold in the Torah, in the Mizmor, and in the Nabi, in the right place, on the corresponding day, in the correct year. But no one, Yada, realized any of this, much less Bien, made the connections to understand. And as a direct result of not listening to Yahweh and being observant, rather than embrace the relationship made possible by these events, the, religious, the religions most hostile to the well-being of God's people emerged, Christianity and Judaism, both by foisting false messiahs on the unaware. The four most important days in human history were all foretold in exacting detail, and yet when they were fulfilled, the resulting gifts of eternal life perfection of our souls, adoption into God's family, and the infinite expression of emancipation and enlightenment, enrichment and empowerment, were all squandered. What had been plainly spoken and painfully endured would remain unknown 
until the Mismore and Nabi were given a coal voice. Dode was afforded his Bashar herald. A little Z commenced sowing the seeds for the mighty Zoroah. When Yahweh's Choder, secondary branch, began to reveal new life, as Yehudim witnessed the promised Nakri, all so that you might know what your people have hidden for the past 1,990 years. Having abandoned father and son, and having rejected the gifts Yahweh and Dod had provided, replacing the Torah with their Talmud, now estranged and alone to endure their insufferable religion, Yehudim Jews would be subjected and subjugated and enslaved. They would become exiles and scapegoats, dehumanized and demonized. The first self-proclaimed rabbi, Shaul Paul, would promulgate Christianity by robbing Yahweh and Dode to create the myth of Jesus Christ. Then Rabbi Akiba, somehow assuming that two wrongs would make a right, responded in kind with his own false messiah, Bar Kokhba, son of a star. Rome, led by Vespasian and Titus, the beast virgin of father and son, set siege to Jerusalem in 70 CE and destroyed the temple, killing 600,000 Jews in the process. Yes. With the wealth and slaves they commandeered, they would build the Roman Colosseum to showcase the empire's bestiality. Then, just two Yobel, after Dode's denied and forgotten sacrifice, Emperor Titus, responding in part to Rabbi Akiba's, uh, it was was Emperor Hadrian, I'm mistaken there, Emperor Hadrian, responding in part to Rabbi Akiba's provocation with his false messiah, destroyed Jerusalem. It was the 82nd Yobel year, 133 CE. The land of Yahuda, Judah, was renamed Syria, Palestina, as a snub to Jews because the Philistines had been their foes. Dyspora followed. Jews would endure the most degrading and enduring period of abject humiliation ever experienced by any nation or race. The 100th Yobel was marked by nothing, because there was no one listening to Yahweh. Yehudim completely separated themselves from God, and worse, they were annoying him with their devotion to Judaism. And it is a wonder, with all of the torment they endured, that somewhere along the way didn't have a Hezekiah moment, and noticed that they were antagonizing the source of their redemption and reconciliation. Using the name of the beast of Rome that they had conjured to harass God's people, the League of Nations conceived Mandatory Palestine in 1920 after World War I. But Jewish migration was stymied, setting up the Holocaust. But then out of the ashes of genocide, the newly formed United Nations established Israel on May 14, 
1948. The War of Independence followed by the Six-Day War in 1967 and the Yom Kippur War in 1973 saw Jews reclaim much of their homeland, now just 60 years prior to Yahweh's return with Jod. It was during the 119th Yobel on Teruah in 2001, 2,961 years after the Nakri observant foreigner was announced by Solomon, a voice was found to call God's people home. Over the next 32 years, he would expose and condemn the religions most responsible for the subjugation of Yehudim, Islam and Prophet of Doom, Christianity and Questioning Paul, and Judaism and Babel. He would compose an introduction to God, Yada Yahweh, observations and coming home to awaken Israelites for one last opportunity at Kippurim, reconciliations. Five years ago, in 2018, the Nakri revealed that Dode was the Messiah and Son of God, and that it was Dode who was returning with Yahweh to fulfill Yom Kippurim. Three years ago, in 2020, the Choder completed a comprehensive edit and rebranding of Yada Yahweh, the entire series, and the Yadayah.com website was transformed to make his findings available worldwide. A year ago, in 2022, the Bashar Herald unsealed the message, Gabriel, God's most capable and courageous man, revealed through Daniel. And then earlier this year, Abib 10, year 599-YA, 599-O-YA, the Ida witness, announced that Dode is our Savior. He's the Zeroah who fulfilled the first four Mikre in year 4000 Yah. This led to yet another comprehensive edit of the 30 volumes comprising Yada Yahweh. And during this time, the Yada Yah social media campaign began to reach Yehudim and gain traction in reuniting God with his family. Yahweh's final Zeroah will return on Passover, April 16, 2030, with Elyah to serve as a witness in Jerusalem. It will be during the worst of the time of Jacob's troubles. This brings us to year 6000, Yah. Yahweh will return with Dod to fulfill the final two Mikre, Kaporam and Sukkah, during the 120th Yobel year, which will conclude the sixth millennia of man, and usher in the seventh millennia of God. Mark your calendars. If you plan to attend, Yisrael's homecoming and the family reunion, this will occur at sunset, 6.22 p.m. in Jerusalem on October 2nd, 2033. Marking the special occasion, there will be a total solar eclipse on March 30th, 2033, the day of the new moon marking Abib first, denoting the beginning of year 6000 Yah. Fourteen days later, on the 14th and 15th of April 2033, during Chag Matzah, 
there will be a full lunar eclipse commencing in Jerusalem and spreading to Babylon during matzah, certifying the darkest of nights. Mm -hmm. And if that were not enough to garner your undivided attention, there will be a second solar eclipse in year 6000 Yah, 2033 CE, on Friday, September 23rd, which is when the final Teruah will be celebrated, thereby signifying the end of our journey as witnesses. Then adding to the celestial acclaim, there will be a second total lunar eclipse on the evening of the That's 7th rare. and 8th of October, 2033, coinciding with Sukkah in year 6000 Yah, as the covenant mm. family returns to Eden. Against the magnificent depiction of Yahweh's intervention on behalf of his people, there is, however, a contrast we must face before this program ends this evening. Yahweh created Adam in his image, placed him in a perfect environment, celebrated life with him, and gave him the ideal companion. And yet, this man threw it all away and back in God's face, doing so upon the advice of a false prophet, an adversarial influence, whom he believed instead of trusting Yah. Years later, civilized man became so egregious, religious, and vicious, Yahweh intervened again, now a second time, to give humans with a Nasama conscience a second chance at life. He found, instructed, and protected Noah and his family aboard the ark only to have human malfeasance reemerge, red in tooth and claw, word as well, almost immediately thereafter. With our second opportunity squandered, Yahweh found Abraham and Sarah walking away from Babylon. He offered them the chance of a lifetime. They were introduced to the Bereth Covenant with its five conditions and five benefits. While not the best or smartest of men, Abraham stumbled his way into Yahweh's outstretched arms, confirming the covenant and receiving its benefits. But within two generations, it was all but relinquished. And within three, there was virtually nothing left. Nonetheless, after being rebuffed now on three occasions, Yahweh would come to the rescue of his people a fourth time, liberating them from slavery and Mitzrayim. But within a week, during the very first week, they became antagonistic and malcontents, and they begged to go back into servitude. He offered them his Torah guidance, but it made no difference. Even though they did everything possible to annoy and aggravate the Almighty, God endured their temper tantrums long enough to lead them to the promised land. Once there, they became religious and went their own way, essentially telling Yahweh that they would rather fend for themselves than be around him. Hmm. He would come to the rescue yet again, this time after Yisrael rejected him a fifth time, 
they chose to be like their Gentile neighbors by approving Shaul to rule over them. It led to the precipice of their annihilation. At the hands of a foe so insignificant, they left no remembrance in history. The solution Yahweh offered on this, the fifth occasion of his people's salvation, was to anoint and empower his son, his beloved Dode, to lead and protect them in the ways of a shepherd over a flock. However, they turned on Dode, leading an insurrection against their Messiah and King. Should we count these acts of rebellion as one, then in the sixth episode of outright rejection, Yisrael brought Baal and Asherah into the land and worshipped them as a consequence of their predilection for false gods and pagan religions. They were victimized by those they sought to emulate, the Assyrians, Egyptians, Babylonians, Greeks, and Romans, would invade and pummel them. Having been rejected and burnt by his people six times, Yahweh was in no hurry this time to redeem them. However, he did give them hope, inspiring Dode and other prophets to explain what he and his son would do to save them from themselves, fulfilling the first four Moedim in year 4000, Yah. When father and son did what they had promised, delivering eternal life, removing guilt, adopting, empowering, and enriching the children of the covenant through Pesach, Matzah, Bokodam, and Shabuah in 33 CE, the seventh and most egregious rejection occurred. Jews either ignored what Dode had done or they robbed him and themselves of his sacrifice, foisting two false messiahs on themselves and the Gentiles. It was the biggest F.U. in the history of humanity, mm. and it was directed at Yahweh by Yehudim. Mm. Now even more hesitant to help his, in, his irascible nation of misfits, Nearly 2,000 years would pass before he would even talk to them again. And even then, it would be indirectly through the Nacri observant foreigner. He would serve as Dode's herald as a final witness to tell Yehudim that there would be one last opportunity for reconciliation. Yom Kippurim in your 6,000 while Yisrael will be afforded an eighth opportunity to spit in God's face, that will be the last. That will be the end of time for all but the remnant of Yisrael who listen to Yahweh and return home before it is too late. Rejecting God eight times is eight too many. Saving them seven times is only appropriate because there were no better options. That is tough. So those are my thoughts on time as explained in the Torah and prophets. When exposed to that, it's pretty darn Mm -hmm. hard to be passive, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I I want to make a comment, if I may. 
Sure. Um, the first part, they when uh, we were talking about them, certain people um, attacking us, attacking mm -hmm. you in particular, but in general, oh, when I'm you attack you, yes, they good news, right? But, I know. It's I mean, good news, company. They've attacked Yahweh for the uh, yeah, the past four thousand years. So, you know, if they weren't attacking me, then I would obviously be doing a poor job. Yeah, <laughs> but but this is some of this is is so ridiculous because they won't read the Torah, and they like Moshe apparently, but they don't read what Moshe says. And Moshe wrote in Shemot, he said, "There's there's only there's always there." There was and always will be one Torah for the native-born individuals. Yeah, they so, what they have done, so what they have done is they carry the one that that Moshe scribed and spoke, uh, dress it up like a little whore, and you know they parade it around. Yeah. But yes. what what the Rambam did, Mamamides, is he called his Mishnah Torah. And so now yeah. when they when Jews right. speak of observing the Torah and Torah study, they're talking about the Mishnah Torah that the Rambam wrote, and the Babylonian Talmud slash Torah that uh, rabbis wrote in Babylon. That's what they're talking and once, about. So. But, but once again, there's only one Torah. Yahweh quoted this to, to Moshe. He wrote well, it down. Of course, and if you read the Torah. history of the relationship between Yisrael and uh, Yahweh, Yisrael and Moshe, and Yisrael and the or Moshe and the Torah, it, it is obvious that Yahweh was communicating through Moshe, revealing his Torah through him, and that the children of Yisrael didn't give a crap. They not and only well, were given a, a separate Torah, they, they, they were making a fool of themselves the entire time. It is the most miserable story of people ever told. Yeah. For any Jew to think that that story is something that you should be proud of, you just haven't yeah. read it. I mean, yeah. you did get out. First of all, your, your savior, you kicked out of your country. The man who risked it all to protect you from the Egyptian taskmaster, you abused. That's why you stayed there another 40 years. God knew. So did Moshe. What you were all about. And then when God went back and saved his people from the this ruthless, it was genocide. It was killing every, uh, every male child that was born, uh, working the people to death. God saved them from that, and they didn't even last a week before they were rebelling and saying, no, 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 we don't want to do this anymore. You just brought us out here to die. We want to go back and be slaves. <laughs> the Torah is Awful. finally being revealed to give them guidance that they can live forever as God's children inherit the universe. And they're down there making a, a, a damn Egyptian idol. Yeah. I mean, read the story of the waters of Meribah. It's the worst yeah. thing I've ever heard in my life. Read the story about the alleged spies as, as a member from each tribe went into the promised land and came back and said, oh, no, we're not going there. Man, you brought us here to die. It's we didn't behave too good. So disgusting. Can, can I find the mitzvah? 
Uh-huh. And I, it didn't get any better, by the way. It didn't get any better. You got the promised land, and it was this same old garbage. There's two really tiny moments of the best of Dode and the best of Hezekiah. And there's nothing else but an irascible, hard-headed, dim-witted, self-aggrandizing people that rather than accept God's blessings chose to throw it all in his face. Hmm. Wow. That's well, the other, other, yeah, well, the other part of my my comment was going to be that uh, about the Torah, you, where else can you find the mitzvah? There are five terms and conditions. There is no other right. way to return reconciliation without recognizing those things. And right. it's all in the Torah. So, so stop attacking and either read the thing or walk away from us. I mean, it's right. that simple. I mean, it's... Yeah. it's uh, but and for God's sake, don't start trusting the Americans. Did you, you know, as you're reading about the stuff about what America's doing and how we're under their thumb, we've got more oil than Saudi Arabia's got. We don't need nothing. Yes. They have. I've been reading all the last couple of weeks about American manufacturing. They can now make everything they cheaper with a few AIs and a couple of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Black and Decker blew me. The story of Black and Decker moving back to North Carolina, I think it's North or South Carolina, blew me away. They can manufacture cheaper. We don't need China for nothing. We don't need oil. I want to stop you there. One of the things that I never do on this program, Kirk, one of the things I just never do, um, and I haven't done it now in, in over 20 years, I don't explain what America could do or should do or someone in the world could do or should do to right the sinking okay. ship. So yeah, well, it ain't going to be righted. So the no, fact that, that we have um, ceded our prosperity to our enemy mm-hmm. is, uh, is something that we will announce and discuss because mm-hmm. it is relevant to our demise. And our demise is relevant because it was foretold. But there is no energy wasted here on patriotism and make America great again. America's never never was and never will be. Our our energy is explaining to you that times are bad. They're getting much worse. They're horrible because of human ignorance, particularly about Yahweh, particularly among his people, particularly among the religious. And because of that, this is where we're headed, and it's all going to come to a head within 10 years. And you don't have the 10 years to figure out whose side you want to be on. Right. Because most everyone alive today will be dead by the time we reach that point. Mm -hmm. So... If you want to be part of God's family, if you want to be a part of that remnant that is going to be at the homecoming, then you darn well better decide in a hurry because you're not Mm -hmm. going to get an eighth opportunity. Oh, you'll get the eighth opportunity to reject God. There just won't be an eighth opportunity of salvation. The last day. 
6.22 p.m. sunset in Jerusalem, October 2nd, 2033, year 6,000, Yah. Oh, I'm you know, our dear friend Kelly, she shared with me Yashia 62, verse 8, um, today and yesterday. And that verse, Yisrael, you should listen to it. This man that is talking right now has, it says he has made this new wine and has labored to produce it for you, and you're going to reject it. But if you will consider it and drink it and engage it, Yahweh will protect you from your enemies, and this is happening right now. And and that is the only country I'm interested in in helping figure out a sinking ship situation is Israel. That is that is a very good point. You know, and we put this in perspective. I am uh-huh. no Moshe. Moshe is the perhaps the greatest man who ever lived. But even with Moshe, Jews turned on him. Dode yes. is the most brilliant man in the world, the most courageous man in the world, the most compassionate man in the world, the savior of the world. I am no Dode. But what did Israel do? It turned on him, led an insurrection mm-hmm. against him, and then denied him all of his sacrifice. You could be listening to this, and you could say, you know, he's not the most articulate guy in the world. There are people who convey messages in a way that are more inspiring. You may not like me, but the fact of the matter is, I'm the best you're going to get. And that is because of you. You have ignored God now for the better part of 3,000 years. And so he finally said, I'm going to speak through this guy. And you have a chance to drink that new wine. You have a chance to listen to that voice. You have a chance to benefit from Dode's Herald before it is too late. Yes. You may not like Mm -hmm. the individual. You may want to attack him with ad hominem arguments. But it's not going to work out any better for you than attacking Moshe or attacking Dode. This is what God chose. I didn't choose this. God chose it. You may not like this choice. It's God's choice. He has always chosen to work through someone. They're always, well, with the exception of Moshe, they're always flawed. They're usually rascals. They're very passionate. They're always outspoken. But it is what he chose to do. And you know why he chose to do it that way? Because you gave him no other choice, Israel. When he spoke directly to you, you said, no, we don't want to ever hear your voice again. We don't want to ever see your brilliance again. It scares us. You know why it scared you? Because those demons running around in your head. Those demons that preferred religion to a relationship. False gods to Yahweh. And you were embarrassed by them. And so God continues to expose them. We continue to expose them. But here we are. We are now 22 years into what will be 32 years of exposing and condemning religion and politics and exposing and triumphing, 
um, speaking, acclaiming the great message of Yahweh, his marvelous name, the great sacrifice of his son, the value of his Torah guidance, the insights that can be drawn from his prophets. We're here to tell you that the greatest gift ever given was offered by no one less than the King of Israel, the Son of God, the Messiah. Dode! Mm-hmm. He is your Savior. He gave you eternal life. He took everything you have ever done in rebellion against God away and deposited it in Sheol, never to be seen again. He gave you the opportunity to be adopted into the covenant family, to be enriched and to be empowered by God. Accept it. So beautifully delineated in the text of the Torah and prophets. Mm -hmm. Accept it. Yahweh's name is so clearly expressed in the Torah and prophets proclaim it. God's disgust for religion in particular and the religion of the Jews most of all is so overwhelming. Reject it. Stop listening to the rabbis. Start listening to Yahweh. Yahweh know. Rafa. I would say to all who are listening, if you don't like the way I articulate the Word of God, if you don't like my translations, if you don't like the insights that I'm providing, if if you don't like this effort of helping you understand who Yahweh is, what He's offering, what He expects in return, and what His Son has provided, then... Go study it yourself. You've got 22 years invested in this. You've got 10 years left. You better hurry. But if you're up for it, read it. But I'm going to tell you, if you want to read it and you're religious, you're wasting your time. You'll never understand it. If you're overtly political, you're wasting your time. If you're conspiratorial, you're wasting your time. Just go away. The only way to approach God is with an open mind and after having rejected religion, politics, patriotism, and conspiracy. The first condition of the covenant. That's why Abraham was chosen. I said that he wasn't the brightest or the best of men. And he stumbled into God's arms. The reason that Abraham stumbled into God's arms and was the the man with whom the covenant was founded is likely somewhat similar to how I stumbled into this position. There were no other choices. Yeah. He wasn't the best of men. He wasn't the brightest of men. He was the only man. So there we have it. That is the story that I wanted to bring you this evening. Uh, next week we'll we'll be talking uh, even more about Teruah, but um, uh, suffice it to say 
that yada yada, the entire experience, every word of every book, every radio program, every Torah study, every insight, every conclusion that we have provided is a celebration of Teruah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And keep in mind that even though Yahweh has designated this role, this voice, this witness, this herald, this secondary branch, this observant foreigner, he is not calling you to himself. He's not asking anything of you. He won't take your money. There's no secret clubhouse. There are no secret handshakes. There's no inside mantra. There are no confessions of faith. There is no allegiance. You aren't following me anywhere. I don't even care if you believe me. This is all about making you aware of what Yahweh is offering and what he expects in return, of what his son has done by fulfilling the Moed Mikre, and what that means to you if you accept it. spoke a lot about us, so we could speak a lot about him. So, happy upcoming Teruah to one and all. Happy Shabbat to one and all. We will continue to do as uh, as Dode's son did on on Shabbat. He uh, there was never any work ever as comprehensive as Dode accomplished with his nefesh on a Shabbat and the Yobel year of 4,000 Yah, the 80th Yobel, um, when he took the entire burden of the guilt of his people and carried it into Sheol so that it would never be seen again. And it is following his example that we bring you this program this evening. Well, good night to uh, to one and all. Um, we will return to the 89th Mismore and hopefully conclude it uh, next week. Be a wonderful way to uh, celebrate uh, Teruah. And yeah. um, well, thank you for putting up with me as I shared these uh, uh, these two Please, insights that awesome. were delivered this week. <laughs> but they they oh, certainly resonated awesome. with me, I, and I, I know they did with uh, UD and uh, with you, Kirk, and I know yeah. they did with yep. my wife uh, Leah and. When you know I get that kind of response from uh, things, and you you can just sense it, you know the uh, words somehow sometimes just fit together in the right way, mm-hmm. um, yeah. where the yeah. connections are undeniable and interesting and relevant, and I think that's what happened in in this particular case. Well done. Yeah, well done. All right. So uh, thank you, yeah. one and all. Look forward to being with you as we approach Teruah uh, this uh, next coming uh, Shabbat. Uh, may we continue to irritate the religious uh, Jews, and may we continue to resonate <laughs> with those who are not throughout uh, Yisrael. Yeah. And we're not precluding Goyim. If you are a Gentile, 
uh, as Kirk and I are, and you wish to be part of the covenant family, it is the same covenant. It is the same Torah. It is the same God, Yahweh. We have the same Savior and end up. We are welcome to be part of God's family. And so we welcome you as well. But while that is true, the single most important day on God's calendar has been and continues to be Yom Kippurim in your 6,000 Yah, the 120th Yobel, when he will return with his son, restore the earth to the conditions found in Eden, wipe out and eliminate all hostile influences so we can live together forevermore as his children. That yeah. is what we're all about. Join us. Good night, one and all. Happy Shabbat. Good night. Good night, Dee. Happy Shabbat. Good night, Kurt.